Welcome to the Proctor podcast series presented by the Samuel Proctor Oral History Program at the University of Florida. Founded in 1967, SPOP is one of the largest oral history programs in the country with nearly 5,000 interviews. SPOP, one community, many voices. Towering storm clouds approach a one-story building on a sweltering summer day in the town of Popka. The clouds are almost the same dull gray as the parking lot, which smells of oleander blooms and molten asphalt. While the air above the pavement shimmers in the heat, Carol Johnson, 56, sits inside an office belonging to the Farmworker Association of Florida. She is recalling her childhood experiences as the daughter of a family of African-American migrant workers. My mom worked on the farms. She did. Uh, she would get up at 4.30 in the morning, like I said, make us breakfast and catch the work truck, is what they called it, to go out to, to do the farms or somewhere to, to cut celery, whatever vegetable was in season. soil and working and uh, depending on what orders they had to fill they worked in the rain they worked in the cold they worked in the heat you didn't come home because you got hot or you didn't go try to find a shade tree because you were trying to make a certain amount of money so you can pay rent and buy groceries that week for many years the family of five labored in the citrus groves and on the muck farms near the edge of one of Florida's largest lakes yeah, my mom would get up about 4 o'clock. Uh, she never believed in, in cold cereal. So we'd have a full breakfast of biscuits, eggs, sausage, whatever. And uh, she'd make a lunch, and we would go to the to the field mm-hmm. on Saturdays and uh, pick whatever was in season, oranges, tangerines, grapefruit, whatever. Uh, I was usually the one with the small bucket getting the oranges from around the trees and uh, my brothers and my dad was up on ladders uh, with these orange sacks on their shoulders uh, filling them up you know from the very top and then climbing down and dumping them in a in a, in the orange boxes we called it grounding uh, those oranges that they could drop down they would drop those down and we would pick those up and put those in the box and then those that were hanging very low on the tree that we could reach we would get those Though now only about a 40-minute drive from the international tourist destination Disney built to the south, it was a very different time and place during Johnson's childhood. She remembers the restrictions of Jim Crow laws, evident even during a routine trip to the doctor's office. I I, I remember, uh, was it Dr. Ackerman? We used to go there, and there was the colored waiting room and the white waiting room, and the first time that I experienced going into the white waiting room, it was like huge, very nicely set up, you know, nice magazines, the whole nine yards. And I'm just turning around and looking. And uh, the the black waiting room was about this big. Yeah. 
So you didn't know before what a di- difference there was between no, the two? No, because we were never allowed to, to go back there. So I never knew what the difference was. So that was a that was a real eye-opener. I, I know we did that when we went to the doctor, we didn't all sit together. But I had no idea that there was a, such a big difference until I had the opportunity to go back there. Uh, actually, I stopped going to the doctor there once I found that out. Over the next 20 years, other drastic changes would take place in Lake Apopka and the surrounding communities. The rich soil of the partially drained lake bed had produced vegetable crops in abundance since the 1940s. But by 1981, the lake had become so polluted by illegally dumped pesticides and phosphorus from fertilizers that the EPA designated it a Superfund site. Like Carol's late mother, many of the farm workers who spent their days ankle-deep in the toxic slurry of water and earth were faced with debilitating cancers, continued poverty, lack of services, corporate denials, and governmental indifference. She had heart issues, just a whole lot of, whole lot of medical issues, and I really believe that it all stemmed from uh, working the muck and working in the pesticides and they would actually be out there working and they'd just come there and spray them. And she used to come home and talk about it. And in the end, she suffered. She really did. As she talked about those times, she remembered stories her father used to tell about his own childhood in Florida. They helped her to understand why her parents instilled certain values in their children. Well, my dad used to tell us about working on a when he was small, they worked on a farm. I guess they did sharecropping. And uh, he used to tell us about that. Everybody went to the field, even the small kids, because he didn't go any further than the sixth grade. But because uh, everybody had to work and help the family out. So I think with, with he and my mom both, that's what stuck in their minds the most. So that's why they were so concerned that we get an education, because of them having to stop school to to help the family. And uh, they went north one year, and my bro- one of my brothers repeated a year, and they never went back. Carol Johnson started working in the citrus groves on weekends when she was in the fifth grade. Her determination to acquire an education was tested during a time of societal changes. She was one of the 25 African-American children who were the first to transfer to the formerly all-white Zellwood Elementary School. She attended fifth and sixth grade there in 1967 and 1968. Carol Johnson's parents hoped their children would escape from a future limited to the long hours of manual labor they had endured as migrant farm workers. Despite all the obstacles, they dreamed of their children going to college. So all four of us are college grads. I have a pharmacist. Uh, my oldest is a military retiree. Uh, my background is in social work and human resource, and my other brother is in sales. So we all had an opportunity to go to college. My parents worked real hard to make sure that that happened for us. Carol continued to do agricultural work through her school years, even while attending a local college to help fund her education. As I got older, actually when I was going to Valencia, I was working at one of the packing houses, the carrot packing house in Selwood. I would go to class and then get out of class and go to work at the carrot house in the evening because it stayed open until about 11 o'clock at night. 
And uh, when I went to college, I went to class because I knew that I didn't want to do that for a lifetime. Mm. So it wasn't a very hard transition for me. I mean, it had been drilled into me that you're going to get an education and you're going to get a better job. So that wasn't an an easy, it it wasn't a hard transition to, to stop going to the fields. As the next generation came along, her parents' belief in the importance of education continued to shape the aspirations of their grandchildren. Yeah, I have two daughters. One of my daughters uh, has a doctorate. She's an assistant principal in the Orange County school system. Uh, my youngest graduated last May, and she's a first-year school teacher and uh, baker. She loves to to bake. <laughs> so, uh, but, and I have two grand two granddaughters and one on and one grandson on the way. So I'm very happy. But uh you know, I always encourage my girls to be independent and go to school, make sure you get an education so that uh above and beyond you'll be able to take care of yourself. Um you know, it was stressed to me and I stressed it to them and uh they're good girls. Sounds like they paid attention. Yeah, they paid attention. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Proctor Podcast Series. For more information about our program or interviews, please visit our website at www.history.ufl.edu forward slash O-R-A-L or call us at area code 352-392-392. 7168. That's 352 392 7168.